heart's pumping. You have to unplug it, see. Hot in here for sure. Once 
Oh, sorry. Let's go back. Sorry. So you get for closing my eyes. All right. <coughs> Some bright morning when the sight is over,
The only way it could change is if you change the plan. There's three versions, and I put in the version we're doing. That's really weird, because I, I put this in Friday or Saturday morning, so it doesn't... that would delete because once you do the plan it deletes and hers didn't even delete so that's weird too that's weird so Susie um, you had it on Wednesday so this is Sunday there we go that was so weird these are these are like what I put in so yeah we told her what capos He means, like, did you make any changes on here, or did you write it down? Okay. So then, yes, this, um, you're set. This is exactly what today is. So you had Wednesdays, and this was Sunday. Whew. <laughs> that was so weird. She was looking on Wednesdays, Zayden. She was looking on an old plan. Wednesdays? And I changed it, so... No, the last two are key of C. So the first, um, the first three songs. The for the stand, it is key of C, and we are playing capo three. So the first one, God with us, is G, C, G, C, C. then when you're done with your phone call, I have questions later. So Wednesdays and Sundays. 
Okay, Zayden. Um, real quick, can you um, help me on a song? Right, that's right, that's right. Yes, that we're that's what we're all doing. Yes, for the last two songs. Good morning, everyone. I see you're, uh, it's, it's nice to know that most of us have phones that will set the clocks for us because <laughs> I remember the old days with churches, half the people will be missing. <laughs> uh, let's just bow our hearts. Let's bow our heads and uh, go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for another opportunity to join as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. To open up with prayer, Lord, to talk to you, Lord, to ask for guidance, and then to worship you, Lord. Lord, as you know, there's so many distractions in this world right now, and we're exposed and hear about so many things, Lord. Lord, I ask you that you calm our hearts, clear our minds, Lord. Help us to solely focus on you. Give you that worship that you so deserve. And Lord, as we just go forward, that we just continue to be, this entire day is focused on you, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. 
thank you so much for the hope, Lord, the joy that we have as believers. Lord, that we can, Lord, just be filled with joy, Father, and forgive us, Lord, for, Lord, walking through this life, Lord, with our head down and, and oftentimes, Lord, discouraged, Lord, for not looking to you and trusting in you and the hope of your promise. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd meet us once again, that you would encourage us, you'd lift our sails this morning, and Father, we would just rejoice in you and rejoice in the hope that you've given us, Lord. We look to you this morning. We thank you for your son in the cross and the resurrection and your Holy Spirit that lives within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn and greet someone next to you. Good morning, everybody. I heard the uh, Thanksgiving Fellowship meal yesterday went really well, and that's good to hear because I know what to look forward to when we have our Christmas Eve dessert. Uh, that, that, that's next month, but we can, th we can dream. A um, couple things that just want, want to pass on. Don't forget about the, um, the Tuesday service that's going to be happening on, uh, the day before. Uh, instead of being on the 22nd, it'll be on the 21st. That's the uh, November 21st, Tuesday. That's our, our midweek service is going to happen that way to give everybody plenty of opportunities to travel and get to their families. And uh, if you if you don't have somewhere to go, if you find yourself alone during those holidays, please reach up to one of our elders, myself or whatever. We'll get you somewhere where you can sit down and enjoy some a fellowship meal. Uh, we don't want anybody spending any time by themselves. Um, another thing coming up on just to mark your calendars with uh, coming up December 2nd, the ladies are having their annual Christmas party. So be just mark your calendars. We'll get more details pending. Um, I think Melissa Germanchild has got more information on that. Ladies Bible study is picking up on November 14th. And um, so if you haven't participated in that, look, uh, that, that's happening at 7 p.m. And the men, I believe, are picking up November 18th, if I'm correct on that. Um, Wednesdays, we still have our midweek services. And then Thursday, we also have our prayer meeting. So if, uh, if, if it's on your heart, we, we definitely need to be uh, in prayer for... Um, the fellowship, pray for our community, praying for our leadership, and praying for what's going on abroad. Uh, everybody's, I'm sure everybody's watching what's going on in the news right now, so plenty of reasons to be uh, in prayer, so uh, come join us on Thursdays. Um, with that, you all know wh how we, uh, we tithe. We, uh, we have the tithing boxes left and right uh, of the exit doors, and then also you can uh, text to give online. Uh, with that, let's just go ahead and go before the Lord and lift up tithing offerings to Him. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this glorious day, Lord. Um, we're reminded that you had victory, you have victory um, so long ago, Lord, and you continue to have victory. And everything that's happening, Lord, is going according to your will and your plan, Lord. So we just here at, at this church, Lord, we just pray to be within your will, Lord. So we lift up these tithe offerings to you and to do your bidding, Lord. And we love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are continuing in Matthew chapter 10, and 
We left off on a real high note last week, the promise of persecution and suffering, and we talked about broken families last week, how the message of Christ is going to divide and not unify so often. And I want to make sure that we understand we're in the same sermon. We're continuing where we left off. The Lord is speaking to his apostles as he is sending them off. If you remember last week, we talked about how there are certain things that apply to us and there are certain things that definitely do not. And so we want to understand the scripture in its context. And he's going to continue to be in that same context going forth. But before we start, I wanted to start with a little primer, a little story. You're getting ready to go to church this morning. You got your little kids with you, because I know some of you don't have those kids anymore. They're long since little. You walk outside And there it is, a little tiny bird, stiff as a board. Its legs are pointing up in the air. And you're like, oh gosh, your little kids, you got a couple different ones. They got different personality. One starts crying. Oh my gosh, the poor little thing. Another one grabs a stick and starts poking at it. Oh, this is awesome. Another one's looking at it like, oh, let's just go. It's time to go. Your spouse, your significant other's freaking out. Oh, no, the poor little thing. And then finally, you know, you do the right thing. You pick the thing up, you throw it in the trash, and you go about your day. The question is, whose reaction is right? And what's the purpose of that little thing? Is it a cute little thing that we should mourn or just another part of the day that needs to be tossed in the trash? Now, what is the purpose of life in general, big and small? And the Lord is going to teach us a little bit about this, even though, again, he's speaking to the apostles and sending them out. He's going to teach us about priorities. He's going to teach us about um, family. He's going to teach us about several different things as he's sending these gentlemen out. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into verses 24 and 26 together. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, and we pray that we would continue to learn about life, about the value of life, about the priority of life, and about the purpose of life. We thank you that you have given us all these things openly. You have revealed all these truths to us through your Son. And as he's sending these apostles out this morning, Lord, we pray that you would send us out and teach us and equip us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 10, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Remember, he's speaking to the 12 apostles. He's sending them out. And this is Jesus himself speaking to them. And he says, a servant is not greater than his master. A master is like his servant. A servant is like his master. Hey, guys, it's going to be just like what I've been going through is what's going to happen to you. And it's never going to change. That's what Jesus is telling them. He just told them that houses, families are going to be split up. He just told them a line before. There was no Sunday break. There's no seven days between one portion of this sermon and another. He just told them previously that son will go against father and daughter against mother for his namesake, for this truth. And then he says here, no servant is greater than his master. 
And we need to look at Jesus and his life, and we will see all these things in their proper context. The majority of theological truths that we need to understand, we understand them simply by following and looking after Jesus. It's not found in a council of guys scratching each other's head talking about how smart they are. It's just watching Jesus in his life. Now, Jesus' own family thought he was insane. Literally thought he was insane. In Mark 3.21, it says, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Jesus had begun to preach his ministry. His brothers thought he was crazy. His mom, not so much. His mom believed the whole time. If you remember at the wedding at Cana, is it time? Is it time, son? Is it time? Is it time? You know, today would be a great day. But not his brothers. Not the city of Nazareth, not where he grew up. No, no. His message would turn them off. And did you think it was going to be any different for you? Remember, a servant is not greater than his master. Look at Jesus. And in all things, we are to follow him and imitate him and to learn. Now, not only do we learn about the things in terms of information and understanding, but we learn what things will happen to us, what the reactions will be, When you follow Jesus and look at his teachings and look at his life, you will learn how to handle those things. How should you react to unbelieving family members? How should you react to persecution? How should you be praying? How should you be seeking him out? How should you be teaching the gospel? How should you interact with authorities that are not serving God that claim they are? How do you interact with religion? All these things we should be looking to Jesus. No servant is greater than his master. Every master should be like his servant. Every servant like his master. And what that means is how a, a master is teaching the servants, they should start acting that way. They're going to replicate what they, what they know. Jesus replicates Christians. We are discipled by him. And then he tells us to go into the world and do what? Make disciples. Now, Let's take this particular case since Jesus was just talking about the family and how the gospel was going to destroy families. Because we know that God made, created, institutes, and defends the family. So how can both these things be true at the same time? Well, we know, remember, that we look to Jesus. He teaches us about family. He teaches us what family's about. He teaches us what's going to happen in families, and then he teaches us how to handle it. Jesus always loved and cherished and protected his family, even as they were calling him crazy. Even as he was being crucified, he told John, this is your mother, take care of her. And so we see how we're supposed to interact with the world. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, the, the brothers believe. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, his stepbrothers, his half-brothers. They're all up there. And if you study scripture, you will see that several of Jesus' brothers become leaders in the early church. Are you better than Jesus? Uh, obviously not. That's like a bold That's a statement, not a question, isn't it? Are you better than Jesus? Come on, Mike, get out of here with that nonsense. But but what did you expect? What did you expect was going to happen to you? You know, what did he promise you? You Jesus, he's telling the the apostles now what's going to happen. He's telling them how it's going to happen. 
how he's sending them out, the mission that he's on. He's telling them everything that's going to happen here. Nothing's hidden, he says. I'm not hiding anything from you. Did he promise you health? Did Jesus promise you good health? Then why are you expecting it from him? Did he promise you that you were going to be rich? What does that even mean, to be rich? If you're in the United States of America, you live here, you're in the top 10% of wealth in the entire planet. If you're, if you're poverty in the United States, you are richer than 90% of the rest of the United States, uh, the rest of the world, excuse me, I misspoke. Did he promise you comfort, that you're going to be comfortable all the time? You could enjoy your retirement with no problems. He promised this to you. Did, did Christ, did he promise you power, that you were going to be in charge, that you were going to have control? What about prestige? that you were going to be looked up to, that you were going to be respected. Did he promise you any of these things? Did Jesus have any of these things? No servant is greater than his master. He willfully took physical damage for the lives of others. Now, other than who he is in terms of the world, he had no power, he had no prestige, he didn't have any comfort, he definitely had no riches, and his health. We just told you he was getting punished physically, beaten. And so if no servant is greater than his master, then what do we expect Christians to be a follower of him? Man, we are so spoiled. But we're not going to leave you here with nothing. See, to follow Christ doesn't mean that you are going to suffer for no reason. It, means that it doesn't mean that you can't be rich. It doesn't mean that you can't have comfort. It doesn't mean that you can't be in a place of authority or prestige or be looked at. It doesn't, it's not mutually exclusive with those things. But there are promises in following after Jesus because we look to him. And what did Jesus have? He had peace. Supernatural peace with God. God promises you that. You here this morning have peace through Jesus Christ with God. You have peace with your creator. What else did Jesus Jesus had joy. He may not have had comfort and riches, but he had joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and it's given to us. It's free, regardless of your circumstances. He had, we have this as a promise. Jesus had contentment. We know the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. We have contentment. We have the ability to just simply be happy with what we have and where God has us. And Jesus had love. He had a deep love, deeper than we can imagine, for God, for his people, for creation. He is defined as love. And Jesus walked with God, and he didn't walk with God to impress man. He did it to impress and honor his Father. And we need to be doing the same thing. If you call yourself a Christian, then what are you after? We're going to be talking about this a little bit more throughout this sermon, but we should be like Paul the Apostle, who told the Corinthians to imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. You're never going to be as good as him. You know, Michael Jordan could teach me how to play basketball. I'm never going to be Michael Jordan. And here we have the creator of the universe is teaching us how to do life. I'm never going to get close, not even close. But they should be able to tell. There should be a difference. Now, I want to change gears a little bit here. I want to look at verse 26. In verse 26, it says, Therefore do not fear them. He's speaking about people the critics, those that are going to call him crazy and all that. But then he slips this one in there. Do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. I cannot lecture my 
brothers and sisters in Christ enough, YouTube theology is bogus. You're not going to wait 2,000 years and then you finally figured it out on the interwebs. Everything that Jesus has taught has been clearly written, is clearly received. Oh, well, there's a secret code in the Bible. And if you take the original Hebrew and you minus the added letters and you change the way that it's described and you put a a number to them, but only Roman numerals. And then if you do Roman numerals and then you use Greek math and a Persian calendar and then you can decipher the Bible and it will tell you the day that you are going to be raptured. No, no, no wonder nobody's listening to you about the truth of God's word. It is clearly written. Everything that is hidden has been revealed. The last thing, the last thing that was hidden was when John, the revelator, received revelation from God and it was recorded. No more secrets, nothing. It is clear, it is open. The gospel and the message of God's word can be just as easily received by my six-year-old in the back than by a 60-year-old in this sanctuary. No more secrets. It's open. Now, Jesus told them these things, and he's telling them in this message, but he's telling them, remember the context here, you're going to go into the whole world, and you're going to teach everything that I taught you privately. Everything that you and I are discussing, everything that you see, it's for the whole world to hear. Now, historically, this is very important because of something called the Gnostic heresy. You don't need to know that today. If you're just, if this is your first time here, you're just like, what are you talking about? Your eyes are rolling in the back of your head. You don't need to. It doesn't matter. But in the first several centuries of the church, this was an important everyday problem. You see, there were people that claimed to be Christians, and they were going around saying that they had secret inner truths on how to know God better or know Jesus better. And then they were changing some other doctrines as well. And if you got to their level, literally... Like if you got to their level, they would, you could pay and you could get taught the secret inner knowledge. Well, Jesus is already knowing that that's going to happen a long time from there. And he says, no, everything that is here is open and plain and is the light. As you grow in your Christian faith and in your maturity, you will understand that the simplest truths are the most powerful. They're the only ones that matter. And that the things that you grow into and you begin to learn in terms of information and knowledge are not as important as you think. I would call it like a bell curve. You know, when you first become a Christian, you know very, very little. And you're beginning to grow in the knowledge of Scripture. And then you get up here to this point, whatever that point is, where you're you're learning about all the extra things that don't really matter. Like what dialect of Greek they were using on the island of Patmos at the time under Roman uh, occupation. Who cares? What's in the Roman catacombs under Rome in the Vatican? Who cares? But you start to think that you si- you got something here. Oh, I finally figured it out. I finally understood that between verses 10 and 12 of Ezekiel 38, there's a hidden revelation that the Soviet Union is going to come back. No. But you begin to grow through that, and then it comes down to the bell curve. When you begin to focus on the things that really, 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 and just in case you didn't catch it, really matter. And you begin to be like John the Apostle. Do you know how John the Apostle's messages were at the end of his life? He would simply be rolled out on stage on whatever first century wheelchair he had and would say, little children love each other. The bell curve had come all the way back. Grace, unmerited favor. 
Now, coming back to our text, that is what Jesus is teaching here. You're going to go into all the world. There's going to be persecution. The world's going to turn against you. You may have to immigrate. You are going to get beaten. Your families are going to get destroyed. The word of God's going to be taught. But it's just like what I'm going through, bro. Just like what I'm going through, boys. Just, what I, just like you see me live is how I want you to live. And there's nothing hidden. There are no secrets. I want you to go out there, perform miracles in God's name, and give him the glory. And that's what's happening here. And that's what's being discussed. And so he's continuing now in verses 27 through 33. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but can either cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. We're going to unravel a lot here, and we are going to go super deep. hope you guys are ready. But I want us to understand these verses in their proper context. He is talking to the apostles about being sent out and preaching the cross of Christ to the world um, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Forgive me, I said the cross of Christ. He doesn't want them to teach that yet. He wants them to teach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, perform miracles in God's name. That's what he's teaching them to do. And he's telling them to be public, and even though there's going to be opposition, whether it's in the present or in the future sense, he's describing this to them. This verse, in its context, does not mean that if you ever deny Christ, you're not saved. Otherwise, Peter would not be saved. Because you know, he denied the Lord. He said he never knew him. He's talking about it in a generalization. But what is he directly speaking of? That you are to fear God, not man. That the fear of man, the respect of man should be nothing compared to your fear of God and the respect of God. Again, we, under, we need to understand things in its original context here because just like the Lord said he's going to divide families with his name, he's the one that teaches us what family is and how to keep it together. Even though he says here that we're supposed to fear him and respect him over man's authority, he also teaches us in Scripture to be obedient to those that are in authority, pray, pray for those that are in government, that government has been appointed by God himself. And so we see him describing things, not proscribing things. This doesn't mean that somehow if you rip your COVID mask off during the pandemic that you're standing up for Christ. You're not. Now, whatever your stance was in that, all right. But don't be thinking you're a better Christian now because of it. That has nothing to do with the gospel. I'm not, I'm not taking sides there. Who cares? Oh, I'm, I'm not going to use this app. I'm not going to have any tattoos. I'm not going to vote. Whatever it is, I hear all kinds of weird things that they want to make that as their declaration because I respect God more than I respect man. That's baloney. Baloney. He tells us to pray for those that are in authority and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, if you feel a strong conviction in one of those areas, God bless you. I'm not fighting you. 
But we have to understand things in its context, bringing it back to what's really important. What's really important here? That's what Jesus is talking about. People are going to hell. That's what's important. People are going to hell every day. They're entering into eternity and they are slipping into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Eternal fire. Nothing else matters in comparison to that. Go and preach this everywhere. Who cares what they say? Because you should be more worried about eternity. Now, in this context, we get back to our original story, our little primer this morning. Because he says here that how important we are, how important our life is, and how God appoints every sparrow that falls. That means not a single one of those things die without him knowing about it, without him allowing it. And how much more we are than many sparrows. And this opens up a bunch of questions, doesn't it? Does God allow sparrows to die or does he cause them to die? What is the purpose of these little birds? If you have little kids, you've had to ask this question. Do they have a soul? Like, where do they go? What is their point? And then it says here that he's even numbered and counted every hair on our head. It says the same thing in Luke 21, 18. Not a hair of your head shall be lost. What do you mean? Is this a prophecy that none of us is going bold, bald? No, this is a description that God is in control of even your hairs coming out of your head. Now this makes us really uncomfortable because God is 100% sovereign. There is not a cell a living cell on this planet that moves and lives without his permission. There is not an atom that is not placed in the galaxy or the universe that he is not in complete control of. Because did he kill that bird and why did he kill it? And then you're going to ask yourself some questions. Does that mean that the bad things that I go through, God allows them to happen or God makes them happen? Well, the answer is both at the same time. And we're going to talk about that. We need to understand that Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father and that all things are made by Him and through Him. He's the all-powerful creator of the universe in the second part of the Trinity, the triune God. He is in absolute authority of all things at all times. And you're like, well, you better start backing this up because you're really starting to ruffle some of my feathers. Number one, I don't care. Number two, here's your verse. Isaiah 45, verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all things. Now, we do not like this. Now, just before you really start getting... Uh, ANSI Bible students. I am not a Calvinist, but God is 100% sovereign, and there's not a thing that dies without Him allowing it and causing it to die. There is sin in this world, and God does not sin, and He does not cause people to sin. He doesn't make sin, but it doesn't exist without Him. Satan was created by Him. Why? I have no idea. I have no idea. And if God decides that he wants to tell me, I'm in. I have um, come to the conclusion that my brain is not even able to understand his reasonings behind that. 
But he is God, and he is in control, and all things exist by him and through him. And Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17 tell us that. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. You can meditate on those two verses. They are some of my favorite in all of Scripture. And you could spend your whole life dissecting that and not even scratch the surface of it. So that leads us to some very important questions here. What is the value of life? What is the value of a sparrow? What is the value of a human being? What is the value of a human being at 33 weeks or 33 years or 330 years? What is the value? Why are we alive? I even go deeper than that. What makes a good life and a bad life? How much is too much pain in someone's life? How much joy are we supposed to or not have in our life to make it a joy-filled life? Why are we even alive to begin with? Now, Jesus, he's sending these apostles out into the world, telling them all these terrible things that are happening. He's going to tell them, you guys are going to be just like me. And he's telling them, don't fear anybody. It's going to be tough. I got no promises for you. Go into all the world and let them know. But in spite of that, I want you all to know that your life is more important than animals and than sparrows, and not even a hair will come out of your head unless I tell you it will, because I'm in control and I know all things. That's your value. Oh, by the way, you might die. Who's a what now? But why? Why? He just told them. Because people are slipping into hell every day. People are going into eternity every day. Rich ones, poor ones, painful ones, joyful ones, comforted ones, rich ones, uh, unpopular, popular. At three weeks, well, I shouldn't say three years, but at three, 30 years or 66 years or 72 years of different mental capacities, of different heights, ages, cultures, ethnicities, people are slipping into hell every single day. That's why you're going out. Because everything else is secondary to that. Who's the president of the United States? Doesn't matter. Who is popular? What movies are playing on? Has Disney gone woke? Nothing. Doesn't matter. None of it. None of it. It's all a distraction. You're all being distracted. From people are going to hell every day, and Jesus is the answer. Go into the world and go tell them about it. Go stop. Because we sit there and we argue over... Should I be crying about this bird or should I throw it in the trash? Is this bird important or not? You know, God created this little creature. Yeah, he did, and then he killed it. It's, it's dead right now. It could come back to life if he wanted to, but he doesn't. It's going in the trash can. Oh, we should bury it and have a ceremony. Okay, if you want to. Some people look at a chicken and they say, oh, what a beautiful creation. Some of us look at it and say, I can get a lot of eggs out of that. The other ones look at us, deep fry it. It'll taste better. <laughs> Who's right? But then we have other people, we have other people that will look at an animal and say that it's more important than a human being. Are they right? Well, God says no. God says no. Jesus just told them that their lives are far more important than a bunch of sparrows and a bunch of birds. If you're asking me, Mike, do we have free will? 
The answer is yes. If you're asking me, is God sovereign over all things and nothing happens without his permission? The answer is yes. They are both true at the same time. Those are mutually exclusive, Mike. How can those things be true? Because God says so. Because he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And he says in the book of Joshua, come this day, choose whom you will serve, not serve the, you, are, you who God tells you is going to serve, serve, and you who don't go away. We're all, cho- we're all told we have free will and we make decisions. And you're like, well, how could those things be true? How can that happen? Read Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. It clearly describes the world as it is. The world is fallen and in rebellion because God created man with free will. And we are doing really, really dumb things every single day. And we're worshiping and serving the creation rather than the creator. We're getting farther and farther and drifting farther and farther away from God. Man is taking God's creation and with the assistance of Satan, warping it and transforming it into our minds so that which we think is good has become evil and that which is evil we are proclaiming as good and we are eroding the very foundation of values because we are turning away from God's word. And that's exactly what God said was going to happen because man loves darkness rather than light. And if you don't like it, repent, follow after Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit and fight that good fight of faith. Well, God, you just said that all those things are happening because God makes it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't like that. Repent then. Well, then God's made me repent. Okay. See, I'm not going to reconcile friends. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man exist on the same plane at the same time. I don't understand any more than I understand why there's a triune unity in the Godhead of a singular being. And at the same time, they're separate. They're not the same, but they're equal at the same. I'm losing my head. Do you see the smoke coming out of my ears? Good. Good. I don't want to leave you like this. I want you to come to the same realization that I have that Chuck Smith taught me through one of his commentaries a long time ago. When I get to what I don't know, I stick to what I do know. I know that God has created all things, and I know that he is the creator, and he is good, and he is just, and he is righteous, perfect, and pure. I know that he loves me, and he made a way of salvation for me. I'm going to stick to what I do know. Those are a lot of great whys. We should be asking these questions. It is far more important for us to ask God why he created us than it is to complain about what the speed limit is on 278. It's far more important for us to weep and cry over lost loved ones. Lord, why? Because when you look at that sparrow, you realize that life is fleeting. I don't understand why sometimes a life ends at an infant and another one ends at 88 years. What I do know is we put arbitrary lines on what we think a long life, a good life, a happy life, the importance of life, a joyful life, a rich life, a comfortable life. Arbitrary, arbitrary. And then we decide what we want to feel about it based on what we're saying it's worth. And that gets back to what Jesus is telling the apostles to begin with. None of us is promised anything. Anything. 
So I will tell you what I tell my kids at the dinner table. You give what you get and you don't pitch a fit. Let's go to verses 34 through 39. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, I think you guys kind of get the context here. It's not, hey, pick up the cross and follow after me. That's going to be a long, painful ride. Picking up the cross is a death. It means you're dead. You're died. You're, you're, you deserve nothing. You deserve nothing. Your life is worth nothing. You are given no more days. Your life expectancy is zero. Everything's a bonus then. Flip it on its side. Every gift that God's given you is overtime. It's extra. It's a blessing. We shouldn't demand it. We should glory in it and be excited in it. What are you owed? Absolutely nothing. His message divides, but God is not the divider. He is the one that unites us. We're the ones in rebellion to it, mankind. He's the uniter, but we have to be prepared for the reality of the world, which is when we bring the gospel of the unifier, of the family builder, of the teacher, that that's not always what happens. And if you understand the context here, if you don't understand anything about what I'm trying to teach here, understand this. Jesus does not exist to fix your personal problems. He's not here to fix your personal problems. The Bible doesn't exist to give you financial advice. The Bible and Jesus didn't come to bring peace to the world. He didn't come to save family values in the United States of America. He didn't come to establish nations. He didn't come to set up a righteous rule over the planet. He came to save souls from eternity in hell. That's it. Everything else is a bonus. Now, he does all those things. He does all those things, but they are secondary. From saving souls from eternity in an everlasting fire where there is weeping and gnashing from teeth. And any time a church, a people, a group, or even you in your own mind get focused on anything else other than that, you're out of whack. Your compass is pointing in the wrong north. And everything else comes into whack after that, out of whack too. He has clearly defined to us here that our lives are worth nothing compared to saving souls from hell. And then he showed us by doing it himself. Because you can't take up the cross and follow after him unless he has taken the cross and gone up to Calvary. This is prophetic. This hasn't happened yet. The disciples, the apostles are looking at him and they're like, what are you talking about? They have no idea what's coming. And neither do I. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what the future holds. But it doesn't matter. I signed up to die. First, pick up the cross and fall after him. 
well, what position is next? What does God have for you? What are you going to do next? What is your mission? I, I don't, n- nothing. And when you understand what I was talking about when you're re- reading Romans 1, 2, and 3, you will understand fully what Paul the Apostle means when he writes in Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the re- Greek. You know, man is the problem not God. Man is the problem. Now, he is sovereign, and he sovereignly gives us free will. And where that ends, where that line is, I have no idea. But we have a mission. And in the last two verses of this chapter, it says, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of the disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So let's end off on some good news. Some people are going to receive. Not everyone's going to be divided. Not every family member is going to turn you down. Some people are going to receive the gospel and be saved, and their lives are going to be altered. H- how did it happen for you? Look, at how did you get into this room right now? Somebody brought the message to you, and you received it. And so we're to go into the world and do the same thing. Are they going to receive it or not? He does know. He knows every appointment and every outcome of every appointment. But it's up to us. He gives us this message. He shares this message, but then he tells us, hey, I don't want you to do anything that I haven't done myself. Follow after me. Do what I did. Act the way I act. And get rid of your expectations. Get rid of what you think you deserve. Get rid of what you think the level is of the value of your life. It is found in the goodness and the grace of God. And that's it. But that's it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And we pray that we would truly receive your word. We would draw closer to you today and have a better understanding of you. Get us back on the right mission, Lord. And help us to live this day like it's the day after, Lord. Help us to live this day like it's the extra day. We're so grateful for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we'll be up here.